The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, politics, very bad opinions, and disturbing sexual imagery. Saturday, the 30th of July, 2022. In this episode, a Florida family is shocked by some unusual behaviour. The guys doing it say it's because they're from Europe. Bob Catter MP talks about his cunning nature. And if you think I am not going to turn that into brutality, you believe in the tooth fairy. And Scott Morrison continues to be Scott Morrison, telling us he doesn't trust governments. If you are putting your faith in those things like I put my faith in the Lord, you are making a mistake. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm Low Energy Bob Catter Love Fest with unexpected nudity. The other day, I had a really strange thought. I thought, should I re-establish a Facebook account? And that's strange because I, I deleted the Facebook account I had back in 2011. Uh, 2010, no, uh, 12 years ago. And I wrote about it at the time. You can you can see my reasons. I wrote about it for the ABC. Uh, I wrote about it on my own website. I probably wrote about it somewhere else as well. And and you can, you can see that. I've linked to them on the podcast webpage. Um, and I linked to some other people's uh, arguments against uh, having a Facebook account. And they're good articles. But I think mostly people, you know, were overthinking it. I, I think it's all fairly simple, as I wrote. Facebook behaves like an arsehole and I don't do business with arseholes. Simple as that. And they're still arseholes. They're probably even bigger arseholes now. So why would I want to re-establish a Facebook account? Well, I thought... I'm missing some of the really loopy stuff. Sure, uh, it gets reposted on Twitter sometimes and, you know, I, I quote some of it here and elsewhere. But perhaps I should watch out for the loopy material firsthand. But then I realised, well, no, the really loopy people have been banned from Facebook. And you have to go to somewhere... Oh, Gab or uh, uh, Trump's Truth Social, which is apparently dying in the arse, or Telegram. And I was reminded of that because Byron Kay, who's a, a, a journalist for Reuters, he reposted something from George Christensen, the former Liberal Party MP who's now, you know, becoming a bit of a far-right, far-loopy guy. George Christensen now offers video chats. You can book a video chat with George Christensen. Uh, he says, make a payment and then email him with your name, preferred video chat platform and topic slash questions to discuss, preferred date, time, all of that. Now, his rates are $165 Australian for 30 minutes and $220 for an hour. And Byron Kay said, sorry, you'll need to pay me a lot more than $220 for this. Talk to George. 
I mean, yes. But quite frankly, uh, I think George's uh, rates are quite reasonable. Uh, that's, you know, the kind of rate you'd expect uh, for talking to almost anyone for an hour. Uh, it's certainly a lot, a lot cheaper than than booking a doctor or a surgeon for an hour. And, I mean, I, I will talk to people in a video chat for an hour. They're, they're called my consulting clients. You know, they, they book a time, they pay me money, and we chat about topics of their choice. I would like to think I have more to offer in terms of sensible advice than George Christensen, although if you listen to this podcast, you you may disagree. Anyway, I thought it was a fair price. I am interested to see whether he gets any takers uh, for that and how it affects you know his ongoing media slash pseudo political career. In fact, even though um, Parliament started the new Albanese government, first day of Parliament was on Tuesday. They had the three days there. Even even though I was paying attention to what happened in in Parliament, for me, some of the more interesting things have have been people who are no longer in Parliament, um, like George. God, George, love you, George, uh, and and like Scott Morrison. Remember him? He was he was the Prime Minister of Australia. And as Crikey pointed out, Australia has been living in a theocracy and we're just waking up to it. Now, Crikey has been following um, uh, Scott Morrison's uh, religious views for a little while now. Uh, They wrote a piece, again, I've linked to it, uh, in which they say the former Prime Minister believes himself to be special in God's eyes. One of the chosen people spreading the dominion of the Lord. And in fact, uh, a couple of weeks back, he was invited by former tennis champion Margaret Court, now a Pentecostal pastor. She runs something called the Victory Life Centre in Perth. And Scott Morrison gave the sermon. It's it's quite long. You can find bits and pieces uh, all over. Here's just a taste. So whether it is on these existential issues about the world stability or the climate or any of these sorts of things, don't be anxious about it. Walk out your walk. Walk out your faithfulness. Listen to God as to how He would have you and how He would guide you and be faithful. God's kingdom will come. It is in His hands. We trust in Him. We don't trust in governments. We don't trust in the United Nations, thank goodness. We don't trust in all of these things, fine as they might be and and as important as the role that they play. Believe me, I've worked in it and they are important. But as someone who's been in it, if you are putting your faith in those things, like I put my faith in the Lord, you are making a mistake. They're earthly. They are fallible. I'm so glad we have a bigger hope. So yeah, governments, United Nations, all of that are fallible, but somehow he's one of the chosen people. And in fact, as Crikey points out, more than once, Morrison has talked about how God had an important part to play in the birth of their first daughter, Abigail, back in 2007. That was July 7th, the seventh day of the seventh month of the seventh year. They had been trying to have a baby, he and his wife Jenny, for 
years, more than a decade, they're having IVF. But then, early morning of July 6, back in 07, um, uh, Jenny's waters broke. This is a whole the giving birth thing, thing, but they delayed, they delayed, and then Morrison says, and as we got later that night, it started to tweet to me what was going on. And Abby was born soon after at 1am on the 7th of the 7th of the 7th. And, you know, what that said to me was that God is faithful. That was a signal, he thinks, that God says that the Morrisons are special because in Christianity, or various bits of it, seven is the number of perfection. Uh, Seventh day after God's work is done and then the universe is perfect, right? Except it clearly isn't, but that's another whole thing. The sixth, by the way, would be the number of man, a fallen being, etc. And Morrison also goes on to say uh, about, you know, accusations against him, quote, Satan is known as the accuser, the great accuser, and he'll keep throwing this stuff at you. And the theologian or theological expert wonder what the difference is, that Crikey uh, spoke with, said, Satan is attacking you because you're a Christian and because you are a chosen people set apart by God. That's all Christians. And uh, Morrison continues to to kind of make that distinction between believers and non-believers in his work now. It'll be interesting to see uh, whether he does go on, I think, to the, the speaking circuit I think he will. He's already gone on to the political speaking circuit with that thing in Japan. Uh, but as Crikey wraps up, it says, it is surely then a short step for Morrison to equate any accusation against him as being the work of Satan and therefore to be brushed aside lest it gets in the way of God's plan, which he's clearly doing because God made him Prime Minister. Well, at the time, not so much lately. Wonder how he reconciles that in his head. I will uh, just play one little bit from the actual parliament and uh, the current government, although it's an opposition member, Angus Taylor, who amusingly now is shadow treasurer. Uh, the deputy speaker was unimpressed uh, because he kept referring to her as Mr. Speaker. Now, Mr. Speaker, I'll take the interjection from the member opposite because. Okay, uh, sorry. I have waited. Deputy Speaker. I was loath I to interrupt you, but you have called me Mr Speaker on at least a dozen occasions. <laughs> My title is Deputy Speaker. I don't need a Mr, a Mrs, a Madam. It's just Deputy Speaker. I'll, I'll go with you. Deputy Speaker. But you would have been a great <laughs> Thank speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. You would have been a very good speaker. Um, uh, but, Mr Speaker, meanwhile, those opposite... Get rid. They get rid of the ABCC. They get rid of the ABCC, and we know how important that is to productivity. We know that that is helping to reduce the cost of construction in this com- country, Mr. Speaker. The Treasurer gave us a painting today, Mr. Speaker. He was a forecaster. He was a forecaster, not a leader. He was a commentator, not a treasurer. We need a plan, Mr. Speaker. That's what Australians want now. Seriously, Shadow Treasurer, you're just going to have to dump the Mr Speaker when I'm in the chair, okay? (laughs) Angus Taylor, 
never, never the brightest crown in the box, and I still don't understand why he's not in jail. I must admit uh, that this evening I'm in a kind of almost a quiet and chatty mood, so I hope uh, uh, you appreciate the pace, the change of pace for for a time. One of my other thoughts this week uh, came after a dream where I dreamt about some people from my past uh, that I worked with at the ABC many years ago, as uh, as most of you will know. Uh, well, regulars will know. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, many years ago, I was a producer and occasional presenter for ABC Radio in Adelaide. And uh, I started thinking about one of the presenters I produce, a guy called Philip Satchel. And I thought, gee, I wonder if he's still alive, because I heard he wasn't well. Uh, and I discovered uh, that, in fact, he has died just under a year ago, uh, back in uh, August uh, 2021. And I was, I, I was amused to read some of the obits. Uh, saying that, uh, yes, Philip Satchel has been remembered as a gentle star among ABC broadcasters after he died at the age of 83 due to illness. Uh, His last show, by the way, was in 2003. Um, 40 years, more than 40 years on air with the ABC. Uh, He uh, began with the ABC in 1963 um, in Sydney and Port Moresby back when, um, of course, back then Papua New Guinea was was a, a, an external territory of Australia, or a, co- a colony, I forget what we called it. Uh, it went to Adelaide in 69. Anyway, it goes on to say, known for his calm, steady voice and the respect with which he treated all his guests, Satchel also grew notoriety for his deliberate and sometimes deadly on-air pauses. If, uh, if you leave a gap long enough, someone else would fill it. Now, that that is two things there. One is, yes, he did. Respect for all of his uh, guests, by, by which they mean even even the poor's and, and the working class people and, and the underprivileged and so on. It wasn't just when he was interviewed, interviewing the famous people. He, he was willing to listen to people. But the pauses thing, I want to mention that. I'm bad at this, but one of the best interview uh, interview tips around is if you ask someone you know a tricky question and they give their prepared answer just say something like hmm pause and at least in in kind of western culture that's the awkward pause and the interview subject is bound to go on and say something so you let them say it um, less so in some other cultures where uh, a pause is a sign of respect or, or being thoughtful, but uh, it's something I've never quite learned. In fact, I tend to jump in with questions because my mind is active and I want to, oh, I've thought of this, I could ask this, as opposed to just letting it unfold. He did do that. Um, and I was amused... Uh, John Keneally, another presenter, and I worked with John Keneally for a bit as well, he had uh, nothing but fond memories for Philip. He never had any tickets on himself, which is all true, uh, but noted that producing Philip Satchel must have been like herding cats. 
He recalled a day with just 10 minutes before the show was due to start, Philip was leaning back on his chair with feet on the desk, thumbs hooked inside his braces, and said, John, what do you think the meaning of life is? This is 10 minutes before airtime, and uh, poor old Gail Bartell, former producer, was tearing her hair out trying to get his program together. Yeah, that that was very much Philip. He'd be off off with the fairies, like, right up until airtime, off and on air. Gail Bartell I work with too. She was technical producer to me as producer when I was producing Philip. And I remember getting fed up with it one day. And and Philip was, you know, I was trying to get him to read some notes about this important live interview he had to do, but he was wandering around and chatting with people, probably asking them about the meaning of life, making cups of tea and whatever. But then in the studio coming up, it was coming out of the news, the guest was there on the line, uh, and I noticed him pouring around at the papers on his desk vaguely, and then he just sort of said to me on the intercom, um... I don't seem to have my notes for this. And I just said in the intercom back to him, well, you're fucked then, aren't you? And let him just stew on that right up until uh, the newsreader was reading the weather and the theme was playing. And I thought, oh, all right, I'll put put some questions up on your computer screen for him to read. He was was very, very vague. and I would always try and say, look, can we, can we do the program? I love doing stuff outside the studio. Um, and I, I really wanted to do the program in the afternoons from like a pub in Port Adelaide or something, more working class area as it was then. He'd have none of that. Um, uh, but, you know, his mornings were – well, he'd walk up from his home. People in Adelaide will know where I say – he walked up to the ABC in Collinswood from, I think, Jocelyn he lived in, St Peter's Way anyway, maybe Royston Park, but I'm pretty sure Jocelyn, and he would be listening to classical music in his in his uh, earbuds or earphones while while walking up to the ABC. And he'd arrive, and he, even though he's got to be discussing news of the day, he'd be magnificently out of touch with it all. I was amused... I've said amused several times here. I am amused by the whole thing. Um, I was amused that, that well, here's, here's a clip from one of the obits. He also had a reputation for edginess. People have said that uh, Philip Satchel is obsessed with sex. Do you think that's Oh, yeah, right? that's, that's true. That's true, yes. Uh, but isn't everybody? I'm not sure that that's so much edgy as uh, just grubby. But uh, I, this is, okay, one more, one more story. I'll tell, uh, is uh, when station manager Tim Potter, the late Tim Potter, uh, came up to me and said, why is there a Channel 7 camera crew coming out of the men's toilets? And I said, well, earlier today, Philip said, and he just interrupted me, and I said, no, no, I don't want to know anymore. I said, it's about urinals," he said. "I don't want to know." And I said, "It'll be, it'll be, it'll be on the television tonight." Um, yeah, Philip had gone on a whole ad lib spiel about how awkward it is at the urinals. But for gentlemen who have, you know, a reluctant 
flow. Um, you know, when there, when there are other people around, and and it is a thing. And he had noted that the ABC was quite good because it had these little uh, kind of privacy screens between you know the row of individual urinals rather than just being there. And and he wanted to talk about how how awful the open you know long trough urinals uh, were. So. I, I did try to prevent him going on television to talk about urinals and filming the segment in the urinal, but at least he didn't have a go while he was there. Uh, anyway, that's that's the late Philip Satchel uh, from Adelaide. That what a self-indulgent segment that was. <laughs> Two final quick bits about Philip Satchel, actually. One uh, is that I've put a photograph uh, on the website showing the studio with him in it from 1987. Uh, That is during the period when I was at ABC Adelaide. Technology has changed a bit. And uh, there's also a link to uh, highlights from his final uh, on-air program in 2003. yeah, that whole thing's a bit old. Old people from Adelaide, you know, you'll you'll know him. That'll be a thing for you. Everyone else will go. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, right now, though, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. I'm going to play an entire five minute report from Sky News Australia. Not not the deranged Sky News After Dark loopiness bit, because always play segments from that obviously, because uh, they're mad. Uh, but one of their actual proper news stories from the other day, and uh, as soon as I play it, you'll understand why. Maverick Queensland MP Bob Catter will become the father of the House when the 47th Parliament of Australia opens next week. First elected in 1993, the member for Kennedy is the longest continuously serving MP in the lower house unashamedly larger than life, often eccentric and well-versed in controversy. Your city, your city, lily pad lefty, that mindset. Bob Catter has comfortably held the Northern Queensland seat of Kennedy for nearly three decades. Before then, it was held by his father, Bob Catter Senior, for 24 years, while Bob Jr made his mark with an 18-year state political career, holding several ministerial roles in the Queensland Government. I uh, walked into that place as a Member of Parliament uh, nearly 50 years ago now. But he says he'd never intended to enter politics at all. I don't know if you knew my father, he was obsessed with politics. And uh, really, I mean, <laughs> you and you until Whitlam got elected, <laughs> suddenly. I don't know why I hated him so much, but I know I hated him. Mr Carter represented the Nationals for several years, but was never one to toe the party line, outspoken on social and economic policies. In 2001, he resigned to sit as an independent. To do the right thing, you know, I have to take this uh, course of action. I don't think it'd be any great surprise to his colleagues to see that he's decided to go his own way. I think he'd be lucky to hold the seat as an independent. I think he's making a, a mistake uh, leaving the National Party. They got elected, but never re-elected. I checked that out before I made the jump. And I thought, oh well, I'm committing suicide here. But he landed that jump 
holding on to Kennedy with an increased margin and retaining the seat at every election since. 20 years ago, there were two non-party people in Canberra. Now, there's a hell of a lot of us. In 2011, he formed Catter's Australian Party before literally handing the reins to his son Robbie in 2020. He'd never had a political thought in his life, he'd never been to a political meeting in his entire life, and he got trapped into it, and he's still trying to figure out a way to blame me. <laughs> Bob Catter drew international attention in 2017 when a rant on crocodile regulations went viral. A true-to-form segue from what began as a video message on the same-sex marriage debate. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I ain't spending any time on it because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. I never ever understood why I've seen T-shirts and I've seen China mugs for sale with that on it, you know. Um, and um, um, I, I never understood why it touched a cord. More recently, he's sought to reach the next generation of voters through social media. His posts on TikTok each have hundreds of thousands of views. I just always enjoy immensely the uh, company of young people, listening to them and um, tuning into them. Let's go, put another crock on the barbie. And I really relate to TikTok, I find it screamingly funny. And Bob Catter never had a desire to become father of the house and says he never imagined staying in politics this long. I had already worked out where I was putting my mansion at Mission Beach. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is next in line for the title. He's been the member for Grandler since 1996, but that's not likely to happen anytime soon. Mr Catter says he has no intention to retire for another 12 years. I'm at the height of my intellectual powers, which is not very high, but still, you know, guys, I have no right to resign. Both major parties suffered a drop in their primary vote at the May election and a record 16 seats were won by independents, or as Bob calls them, the others. There's a crossbench on the rise. He says voters are sending a clear message to Labor and the Coalition. They've just lost 30% of the vote. Neither are apologising, neither are changing direction. As for his biggest issues going into the 47th Parliament, he says he'll keep up his fight to drought-proof rural Queensland with the proposed Bradfield scheme and bolster Australian fuel security by putting a stop to oil exports. The golden lights of opportunity have been switched off. I want to switch them back on. <laughs> and 30% uh, of Australia, I think, this last election agreed with me. Claire Todd Hunter, Sky News. Bob Catter in Parliament longer than anyone else at the moment. Plenty of life left in him. He seems a bit of a fit man. Fit father. Oh, the word daddy comes to mind. And our friend, quote, Susan, unquote, who had the hots for Bob Catter. Uh, if you're listening, quote Susan, unquote, I still won't use your actual name. I think it'd be rude. But there you go. Daddy of the house. Daddy Bob. Uh, the Bradfield scheme, by the way, there, it, it keeps coming up. It's mad, but then Bob Catter's mad. Um, 
What is the Bradfield scheme? Well, here's a clip from Griffith University who explained it at the last election uh, back in 2019. Here we go again. Fueled by the recent flooding in the north and drought in the south of the country, the Bradfield scheme is again making headlines. Who was Bradfield and what was his scheme? Dr John Bradfield was the engineer who designed the Sydney Harbour Bridge. His scheme proposed a system of pipes, tunnels, pumps and dams to divert river water from the tropical north across the Great Dividing Range and into inland Australia, the Bradfield scheme. Bradfield claimed that this would solve our water problems and fuel agricultural production, but he was wrong. Importantly, this water is needed for coastal fisheries in the north. It's not wasted and it wouldn't make the desert bloom. Water would be lost to evaporation and get soaked up by floodplains and wetlands. To avoid the loss of water, more than 2,000 kilometres of pipe and infrastructure would need to be built, and the construction and ongoing costs would be financially prohibitive. Finally, the extra water would change the ecology of our inland rivers and result in the extinction of many species that require the variability of flood and drought to survive. In short, implementing the Bradfield scheme would be an economic and environmental disaster. Thank you, Professor Fran Sheldon from Griffith University. Um, the Bradfield scheme. Um, do I have to explain why it's so bad? She just did. You know, I don't need to add anything to that. Uh, one last bit, though. I mean, I I kind of like the madness of of Bob Catter. On the first day of Parliament, Tuesday, uh, he he was entering the building and he did speak to the ABC for a couple of minutes. And and as usual, yeah, let's listen to it. It's just a wonderful two-minute stream of consciousness. You have a lot of experience. Some nasty people would say devious cunning you develop over a period of nearly 50 years, and I will most certainly be using every single scintilla of that devious cunning. And also, I am noted for a certain ruthless brutality. Uh, uh, unfortunately, my upbringing was a fairly uh, ruthless brutality <laughs> to other people. Uh, so if we do not get dams built in this country, when 2,000 million people are going to bed hungry every night, then someone's going to pay a price. And that is a promise and a commitment. And if we go on another three months with our first Australian people having half the, the death rate, I'm sorry, half the life expectancy of the rest of Australia, I'll repeat that slowly. If you are one of my cousin brothers, a first Australian, living in a first Australian community, your life expectancy is 55. The rest of us, our life expectancy is 81. And if you think I'm going to accept that, forget about me. You think the rest of the world's going to accept that? We will become the pariah, the South Africa of the century if something's not done about that. In three years, I was promised again and again and again that market gardens would go in. Uh, oh, heavens that they should have free old title. <laughs> the first Australian should actually be able to own their land. Oh, they have tribal ownership, which means they've got no ownership at all. And they're in there signing up carbon credits. And I said to one of them, well, why don't you go and shoot them? That'd be kinder, because you've taken every single aspect of control over their lives away from them. And this is the last little bit they had, you're taken away from with the carbon credits. So good on you, good on you. I hope you feel ashamed of yourself. Well, you can feel my rage. And if you think I am not going to turn that into brutality, you believe in the tooth fairy, 
Because these people in here, they only understand one language. They don't understand doing the right thing because they've been asked for nine years now to do the right thing in the community areas and they have not one scintilla of movement towards doing the right thing. Nothing. They allocated some money and they just walked away from it. Uh, did nothing. Bob Catter, dear listener. Bob Catter. I think I'll be keeping an eye on him in this the new parliament. <sighs> Why not? Why not? I am having a very low energy podcast here uh, this evening, aren't I? That's look, I've just been relaxed. Uh, this week, it, it was quite a good week. I, I'm not going to explain why, it just just was. Anyway, uh, the next few episodes will uh, will perk us all up a bit uh, because we've got the last three episodes uh, in the Winter Series, or the last uh, special guest episodes of the Winter Series coming up, and I've lined up three fabulous guests for you. Next week, spaceaustralia.com's Rami Mandel, our astronomer friend, astrophysicist friend, uh, will be talking about the uh, James Webb Space Telescope imagery and he also said he wants to have a bit of a go at Elon Musk again. (laughs) Good. Uh, If you're a supporter with trigger words or a conversation topic for that episode, I'll need to know by Thursday night. That's this Thursday, the 4th of August at 8pm my time, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We're recording on Friday, post that on the weekend. So that's next. Then Justin Warren, the digital rights uh, enthusiast and such. Uh, We're recording on the 11th of August. Uh, We're going to look at uh, how Parliament's uh, showing itself up in the first couple of weeks, what signs there are of change uh, between the Morrison government and its predecessors and the Albanese government. government. Uh, so, trigger words, etc. But then by midday on the 11th, and then, I've been trying to organise this for a while, but Amir Hack, finally, uh, author of The New Capitalist Manifesto and of betterness economics for humans and if you follow his uh, his blog on medium he is chronicler of the decline of america the rise of fascism and authoritarianism the disintegration of everything uh, and he also makes disco so that's coming up towards the end of the month a date not totally set yet uh 23rd of august should we make it a deadline for getting your uh, input in 6 p.m on the 23rd of August. How's that? So they're coming up and I might sneak in another episode before the end of winter too. You, dear listener, generous listener, beautiful listener with with golden um, uh, uh, somethings, um, you make this podcast possible. Uh, and in fact, I want to thank... Everyone who pledged their support to this, the Winter Series, um, you've all been listed before. You're all on the website. Thank you again. And for this episode in particular, I want to thank Yoop uh, DeVitt, uh, whose uh, Edict 02A Premium Pint annual subscription uh, renewed itself uh, in the last couple of weeks. Thank you, Yoop. And Mark Cohen, 
threw in a few dollars and asked, which option buys you a beer? And I think, well, uh, nearly all the options buy me a beer. Um, it's just a, just a matter of what the quantity will be. Now, yeah, winter hasn't finished yet, but time marches on. And I have this evening, just a very short time ago, launched a new crowdfunding campaign, the 9pm Spring Series 2022. Do you, do you detect a pattern here? Do you kind of understand how this works? Now, I have yet to announce uh, guests and things, uh, but uh, Possible, the crowdfunding platform, had pre-approved uh, my campaign when I set it up. Uh, so I thought, look, I was going to launch it in a few days' time, but I thought, yeah, ready to go. I'll launch it tonight. It's there. Go to the 9pmedic.com slash spring2022. Just go to the website. There's a big graphic to click on. The 9pmedic.com slash winter2022. You can get trigger words. You can get a conversation topic. And there's two new ones. A custom audio recording for you or a custom video message for you. Read about that. I'll tell you more about it next time. Uh, but basically, you know, give me money and I'll record a message uh, for you. Uh, that's personal only. Uh, my commercial, You're getting it a lot cheaper than my commercial rates. If you are interested in my commercial rates, when I'm being a little more serious and so on, production, that sort of thing, uh, do let me know. But please, for the moment, go to the 9pmedic.com slash winter2022 and do the needful. Please consider, please tell your friends about the podcast. Thank you very much. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs> elephant stamp time. In many episodes of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And in, in fact, there's been quite a bit of excellence in the category of thinking in recent weeks, uh, and I therefore am awarding today five elephant stamps. Let's go through them. The first one goes to Laverne Spicer, who says, there are no pronouns in the Bible. She, she said that. She said that on Twitter. There are no pronouns in the Bible. Guess which state of the United States she's from. Guess which political party she's a candidate for. Yes, Laverne Spicer is from Florida, where she's the Republican congressional candidate for Florida District 24. People objected to her saying there are no pronouns in the Bible, um, noting, for example, that, that God is referred to as he quite a bit. So is Jesus, he said. That's right. Mary Magdalene is she. You know, it's quite a f when, you, when you think about it, there's quite a few pronouns in the Bible. When this was pointed out to her, uh, she doubled down and issued a series of, of tweets. There are no pronouns in the Constitution which is a bit odd given the very first word is a const is is a pronoun it begins we the people she says there's no pronouns in the bible she says pronouns are a modern phenomenon spread by ego and that's it she says 
I always speak my mind and I think you all have lost your minds when you got the vice president introducing herself with pronouns. I have never used a pronoun in my life, she says, using two pronouns, nor do I go around calling people Philippine X or Latin. In ex latinx I've never, um, I've never been sure how to pronounce that. But anyway, she says, y'all went so woke, your brains went and fell asleep. That's actually a good line, isn't it? Y'all went so woke, your brains went and fell asleep. Enough is truly enough with this foolery. I don't care what y'all do, but don't put me in this pronoun mess and don't try and put that into the world of our children. Laverne Spicer, dear listener, as in Milheiser says, uh, he's senior correspondent for Vox, he reckons he, he's pretty sure that the few million dollars in lobbying costs and a well-executed media campaign, someone could get Florida to pass a bill prohibiting public school teachers from using pronouns. Yeah, I reckon you could too. So a uh, big fat elephant stamp to Laverne Spicer. In the great state of Florida. Uh, number two goes to Linkface. Linkface, they say, is a company that develops biosignal and wearable devices, and they're a spin off from Samsung Electronics. Um, they have a product called Dearbuds SE. I'll let them explain. Have you ever felt itchiness? or discomfort from excessive humidity in your ears. Long showers, overuse of earbuds, and aquatic sports can all cause our ear humidity levels to spike to uncomfortable levels. Dearbuds is smart care for your ear humidity and temperature levels with quicker, safer, dehumidifying features for a happier, healthier ear. Try Dearbuds today. Dearbuds gathers data from inside and outside your ears, then uses light, heat and air circulation to create airflow, getting rid of any humidity with no irritation to the ear canal. Keep your ears at their peak condition. The Dearbuds app lets you see your ear humidity levels in real time. Uh, that goes on for quite a bit longer. I don't think you need to hear it. Yes, uh, to to prevent your ears being too humid because you wear earbuds for so long, they have created earbuds, which are basically miniature air conditioners that you plug into your ears. Uh, and there's an app. Now, they've, they've got a Kickstarter campaign going. They wanted about seven thousand Australian dollars or something to get that going. So far, they have, at the time of recording, eighty-nine thousand nine hundred and fifty-three dollars of Australian dollars of pledges. At the time of recording, they have pledges totaling in Australian dollars eighty-nine thousand nine hundred and fifty. Dollars of dollars. <sighs> Elephant stamp to link face. Uh, number three goes to someone who uh, wrote a letter to the editor of the NT News. 
signing themselves off as cyclone tracing survivor of Marara, which is uh, a suburb of Darwin. This person writes, Some months ago... News, newspaper, there you go. Some months ago, I saw a male about 10am beside an e-scooter and I politely said to him, it's for his own safety he should be wearing a helmet supplied if he's going to ride an e-scooter. Hold on, it's just beside the e-scooter, not on it. He doesn't have to wear a helmet when it's beside it. Anyway... This male smiled, laughed at me and said, no worries, Karen. I was absolutely stunned. So I said back, are you trying to pick up that chick and ask her out for a coffee? He and the female I was walking past looked stunned. I don't really remember if I said some swear words at him as I walked past on my way to the Darwin Library. I most likely did. This type of blatant, I'm a tourist spending money in Darwin is always tolerated by Cyclone Tracy survivors. These people need to be reminded why Bali was bombed. Wait, what? That escalated quickly. I suggest people who have cash coming to Darwin thinking they are invincible wash YouTube clips on e-scooter curb crashes. Totally hilarious. Signed, Cyclone Tracy Survivor Marara. Okay, so two things. Cyclone Tracy, by the way, was when Darwin was flattened in 1974, so we can perhaps guess... Uh, the age or age group that Karen was in. Her name probably isn't Karen. Perhaps it is. But also, not wearing a helmet while riding an e-scooter, while standing next to an e-scooter, that's why Bali was bombed. Wow. Elephant stamp to Cyclone Tracy survivor of Barara. Number four goes to Drake, the musician, who has uh, received some criticism uh, over his short plane flights. He has a personal Boeing 767, uh, which over the past six weeks, there's been a seven-minute flight, a 12-minute flight and a 14-minute flight, all between Toronto and nearby Hamilton. In, um, in Ontario, I believe they are. Um, and, and obviously uh, people think that that's excessive and terribly bad for the environment and climate change. Well, Drake's defence is, is that, yeah, but the plane was empty. Uh, he, he wrote on Instagram, this is just them moving planes to whatever airport they're being stored at for anyone who was interested in the logistics. Nobody takes that flight. He, he being somehow unaware that flying these this big plane empty is even worse than flying it just for a few minutes. Thank you, Drake. Elephant stamp for you. And finally, number five, let's go back to Florida. We begin and end this segment in Florida uh, with this report. Uh, from NBC2, it kicks off uh, with the voice of a 14-year-old kid who's part of a family who were visiting Cape Coral for a holiday but ended up witnessing multiple, quote, the, the, multiple naked men in the pool. 
He's waved and everything, and I don't think that's appropriate for anyone. Waving is fine, but the walking around naked in front of your neighbors, including children, not so much. A family staying in the Southwest Cape says they are dealing with that every day. The guys doing it say it's because they're from Europe. As NBC2's Jennifer Vegas explains, that doesn't matter much to this family. One family visiting from Zephyr Hills was looking forward to a week of R&R staying in this Cape Coral home off Southwest 52nd Street. They had a pool, a dock, a hot tub, and a show they never bought tickets for. It's not very pleasant. It's not a very pleasant view. That's a reaction from 14-year-old Haley Mooneyham today. After seeing the moon in broad daylight across the canal of her vacation home throughout this week. Almost every day, maybe seven. Half the time when we get in the pool, yeah. he's strutting his stuff. Her cousin, 11-year-old Caitlin Lair, says the attire he modeled was a birthday suit on display for she and her five cousins between the ages of 4 and 14 to see. He's waved and everything, and I don't think that's appropriate for anyone. That's where their grandma drew the line and called Cape Coral PD on Wednesday. An officer arrived to the vacation home off Southwest 51st Street. A woman answered the door and told them they're from Switzerland and had no idea being naked in their backyard pool area within view of their neighbors was considered indecent exposure in Southwest Florida. And no excuse. That shouldn't happen, never. In Switzerland, public nudity in most areas is legal. But here in Southwest Florida, what they did could be considered a misdemeanor for the first offense, then a third degree felony. My message to them would be possibly find some clothes. Now we knocked on the front door of this home. A woman answered and admitted to the men swimming naked, but told us that they are heading back to Switzerland today. I'm in Cape Coral, Jennifer Vagles, NBC2. What amazes me about that report, apart from the whole thing, obviously, is that a 14-year-old knows the, the phrase strutting his stuff. I wonder whether, we, whether, uh, whether she was coached there at all. I guess so. Anyway, uh, an elephant stamp for that family for not coping with people just swimming in their own pool. Um, they, and they're... Complaining about their European ways. Uh, thank you. How often do you think about sperm? If you do think about sperm, um, says the Vagina Museum, fantastic institution. We're typically told at school that sperm is tiny and eggs are huge. This, we are delighted to inform you, is absolutely not the case for Drosophila, fruit flies, because fruit fly sperm is absolutely enormous. You'll be pleased to hear. In Drosophila bifurca... Uh, for example, they tweeted the other day, a single sperm cell is almost six centimetres long. Uh, what's that for uh, Americans? Two and a bit inches? Uh, which is 20 times the length of its body. So that's 
equivalent to a human nutting a sperm that's the length of three double-decker buses and a Land Rover lined up. <laughs> a new unit of measure there, which Kells will be uh, thrilled with. Not just double-decker buses as a unit of length, but a Land Rover. Other fruit flies, uh, the Vagina Museum goes on to say, don't form quite such dramatically large gametes. For example, Drosophila melanogaster produces sperm that's only 1.8 millimetres long and therefore only about 35 times bigger than human sperm cells. Uh, Fruit fly eggs, they go on to say, are pretty normal size for insect eggs, about half a millimetre in size. So the question, I know, I know you're asking this, how does such gargantuan sperm fit inside something as dinky as a fruit fly? Dinky is a, what a lovely phrase. Essentially, it's balled up like yarn inside the male and the female's sperm storage organs are like a labyrinth in there. Oh, what if David Bowie's in there? Oh. That's possibly why why his hair is so strange in that movie. Anyway, during the 20 minutes that fruit flies are copulating, they're sort of unravelling and then weaving a ball of string, except they're doing it with their genitals. You probably couldn't do that. I Fair point, Vagina Museum. I, I'm pretty sure I could not weave a ball of string with my genitals. You can picture me doing it, though, having a go. Got to have a go to get a go. Finally, uh, dear listener, <laughs> I'll change the subject to the future. Here's, here's a couple of things uh, that'll cheer you up. Uh, uh, some person called Laurie Charles in the UK says, uh, well, he notes uh, that according to the Financial Times, uh, you may know that they're having election, uh, internal party election for a new prime minister in Britain uh, very soon. Well, the average age of members of the Conservative Party, 72. So as Laurie Charles says, our next prime minister is going to be picked by a bunch of decrepit weirdos in their final unhinged vindictive act on this earth before dying of heat stroke. That should be good. So, good lucky. Anyway, it's, it's going to be. It's going to be Liz Truss. Prime Minister Liz Truss. Ah, Britain is so fucked at the moment. Meanwhile, across the pond, as they call it in the America... According to uh, a poll by the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics, nearly one-third of Americans say it may be necessary soon to take up arms against the government. Uh, Nearly one-third, well, a majority of Americans say the US government is corrupt. Almost a third say that might be needed to take up arms and, in fact, uh, yet Republicans and independents, uh, two-thirds of them say the government is, quote, corrupt and rigged against everyday people like me, uh, compared to only 51% of uh, the Liberal voters, the Democrats, that is, still a majority, half of, half of the Democrats reckon the government's corrupt and rigged. 
Uh, 28% of all voters agreed it may be necessary at some point soon for citizens to take up arms against the government. Uh, 37% of gun owners uh, agree with that. 35% of Republicans, even 35% of uh, independents believe that. And one in five Democrats, 20% of Democrats seem to think, yep, may be necessary at some point soon to take up arms against the government. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds like it's all pretty fucked. Though when I tweeted a link to that poll, some American chap messaged back to say, so it's a minority then. Yeah, yeah, mate, I, I don't know whether that's kind of the point. So anyway, to, to recap, Britain, fucked. America, fucked. Australia, uh, yeah, let's see how we go. That's all the edict for now. All the links at the 9pmedict.com. Tell your friends. Oh, and especially support the new crowdfunding campaign, the 9pmedict.com slash spring 2022. The next episode, Space Stuff with Rami Mandel. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.